Right, we've, we've been rattling our way through these talks at a fair old rate in the sense of averaging like, you know, one talk per book and <clears throat> that's been good. If we weren't doing that, we'd obviously be doing it probably for the rest of our lives, this Bible survey. <laughs> but we're going to slow the pace down tonight just for the next two or three talks. And the reason that we're just going to slow it down is because it's starting to get a little bit complicated. And because it's starting to get a little bit complicated, therefore we want to make sure that we're taking it really slowly and aren't getting too lost. And of course I'm talking about the fact that you remember that last time, because we saw the division of the kingdom into north and south, we saw that it got to the point in the story when we were doing one kings where it was jumping between north and south so you get bits and pieces about what's happening in the south and then it jumps up to the north what's happening there and then back down to the south and it all gets a bit complicated now because last time when we were doing one kings it was only like that for the second half of the book we were well able to take it all in our stride in one talk. However, two kings, by and large, is that all the way through. So it gets a little bit complicated. So that's why, when it comes now to doing two kings, we're not going to do it in one talk. We're going to do it in two talks. And we're going to begin each of those talks with a real leisurely recap on what happened in the last talk can you see so that we get the continuity and so therefore that's why tonight although we're coming on to two kings we'll be on two kings this time and next time as well and as i say because it's just starting to get a little bit complicated there's going to be a lot of jumping around north and south okay so we're going to start with a, a, a very leisurely recap the story so far. I don't mean from Genesis onwards, I mean from King Saul onwards, from the fact that when we were doing Samuel, the books of Samuel, we saw that suddenly the king, that now Israel has a king. And uh, of course it started off with King Saul, then King Saul was uh, rejected and then there came King David and uh, last time in 1 Kings that book started with the death of King David and the rule of Solomon who took over from him as his son. So what we've got all right is that last time we saw the fact that Israel which under King Saul, which under King David, and under Solomon, was one nation, one kingdom, ruled by one king. But what we saw last time is that occasioned by the fact that Solomon, as he grew older, fell away from the Lord and went into idolatry, that as judgment for that, the kingdom divided into two. And you'll remember that what happened is that when Solomon died, he was succeeded by his son Rehoboam. 
But during the life of Solomon, there was this other character, Jeroboam, no relation, but he was the leader of Solomon's workforce. And he was told by a prophet, a hijer, in fact, that he was going to lead this confederacy of the tribes who would break away from Solomon. And so what happened was that Rehoboam, King Solomon's son, became king over one kingdom. But that he got off to a very bad start. Do you remember the people came to him and they said, well, look, do you think we could just have a little bit more of a relaxed regime than your father gave us? And you'll remember he said, look, my, my father scourged with whips, but I will scourge you with scorpions. Not a tactful approach. And that set the people off. And they said, oh, this is, you know, no way. You're not getting our allegiance. And so that was when the division happened. And Jeroboam became the king of the confederacy who pulled away. All right. So we had King Saul. He was rejected. Then King David. Then his son, King Solomon. And when Solomon died, his son took over. And it was then that this division of the nation into two separate kingdoms or nations happened. And you'll remember that we had Judah in the south and the capital of Judah being Samaria, uh, being Jerusalem. Now, we've got to un understand what this tribe consisted of, all right? And it actually was the tribe of Judah along with the tribe of Simeon. Now, by this time in Israel's history, Simeon was reckoned as being one tribe with Judah. Don't necessarily ask me why. I'm just informing you that it was. This was the state of play in Israel at the time. That Simeon was regarded as being one tribe with Judah. The reason being, you'll remember that Judah, when the land was allotted, Judah had the biggest portion, massive portion. In fact, about the whole of the south of the land, really. And Simeon's chunk was all within Judah's territory. So, in fact, Judah's land overlapped Simeon's land. And probably, for, I would imagine that that is the reason, a geographical one, or if you want to get really intellectual, because it's good to do that sometimes, the geopolitical one. Good word, remember that. Gets you a long way in life, geopolitical, right? Um, I, politics dictated by geography. Um, so, for that reason, Simeon was considered to be one tribe in with Judah. Now, also, there was a small portion of the tribe of Benjamin who was loyal to Judah as well. And you'll remember that, that, that Benjamin was the tribe that encompassed the London area, Jerusalem. So what happened? The south consisted of the tribe of Judah with the tribe of Simeon and a little bit of the tribe of Benjamin, i.e. some of the Benjaminites, but not all, but some were loyal to Judah. And so what happened was 
that Judah with Simeon and this little bit of Benjamin that was the the amount of the people that made up the southern kingdom the kingdom of Judah all right so you've got Judah in the south the southern kingdom made up of the tribe of Judah the tribe of Simeon and a little bit of the tribe of Benjamin but officially Benjamin was in with the northern tribes so up in the north you had Israel so the northern kingdom from now on is known as Israel the southern kingdom Judah because that's the biggest tribe so in the north and this is where the breakaway nation was because Solomon's son Rehoboam was in the south so the breakaway kingdom was the north Israel and the capital there became Samaria and that what happened there is that that consisted of the other ten tribes so this explains why and we hit this last time didn't we uh, you know it certainly led to a few people putting a question mark over it the fact that Judah in the south was one tribe but the northern kingdom consisted of ten tribes that doesn't make sense does it but now I've explained to you that the south was Judah plus Simeon alright the north were the other ten tribes alright remember the tribe of Levi has no inheritance so they don't count in this the Levites as the priests and the priestly assistants they were in the north and the south they were the common thread that linked the two kingdoms so you've got to knock Levi out but remember Joseph was never actually a tribe on his own Joseph became two tribes via his sons Ephraim and Manasseh so we've got in the south we've got the the King David, King Solomon and Rehoboam and their descendants in the south the messianic line okay Judah with Simeon and allegiance with some of the Benjaminites and in the north the breakaway kingdom Israel the other ten tribes and as we're going to um, eventually see that, that these eventually became what are still known today as the ten lost tribes of Israel because in actual fact they vanished from history at a certain point and we'll see uh, I think it will be the next talk we do um, how that came to actually be and so that's where we got to last time the division of the kingdom we saw the death of King David and you remember that rather cute thing about you know that girl Abishag who was his hot water bottle he was so old and couldn't stay warm at night it was rather sweet wasn't it and we saw his death we saw Solomon taking over we saw the reign of Solomon that took up a great deal of one kings then his falling away and this judgment coming on him and with this division of the kingdom so then now we've got to recap the history that we saw last time from Solomon onwards and how that breaks down after the division of the north and the south so we'll just kind of refresh our memories this is all what we covered last time so that when we come on 
in a few minutes to do two kings we're seeing the connection you know the way that it all connects because in effect two kings is just one king's carried on you know i mean obviously the obviously the writer decided i'll lend it here and then i'll write a book too all right so then we've had king saul king david king solomon thus far kings over the whole land all right solomon dies and is succeeded by his heir, his son, Rehoboam. Alright? Now then, it is in his lifetime that this division occurs. So we now have Rehoboam as the king in the south, Judah, plus the tribe of Simeon, plus a little bit of Benjamin. Alright? So he is now the king in the southern kingdom. The breakaway kingdom decided that they would have Jeroboam as their king. So we've got Rehoboam, Solomon's son in the south. We've got Jeroboam, the first of the kings of the north, the northern kingdom, Israel. And we'll just remind ourselves of the history of the south first. So we've got Rehoboam, Solomon's son, reigning in the south. And um, I suppose had he been even more cloudy, he could have reigned in the north as well. <laughs> oh dear. It's been a bad day. No, it's, it's been a good day, but it's been a distracting day. So if my humour is a little bit off tonight, that's why, right? Now, so Rehoboam, some would say, no, that's not off, that's normal. <laughs> um, right, so Rehoboam ruling in the south. Now, we saw that he was into idolatry. Remember, his father, Solomon, had backslidden in his later years. Rehoboam was idolatrous, so he was into idols, blah, blah, blah. And remember, we saw that uh, during his reign, um, the south, Judah, was um, attacked by Egypt. Not invaded, but attacked. A raiding party, the Egyptian army, came in um, on a raid, and they stripped the temple. So that was, that was how, how far this raid went. They got into Jerusalem, they got into the temple, and they stripped the temple. And of course, what they stripped it off was all the stuff made of gold, which was most of the inside of the temple. And they had it away on their toes with all the gold. And after Israel recovered from that attack, uh, Rehoboam could only replace the gold with bronze. So in one generation from Solomon, who was the richest man in the world, we saw that last time, didn't we? So under Solomon, Israel was the richest nation on the earth and as rich as they could possibly be. Now, one generation later, because Solomon fell away and his son is into idolatry as well, one generation later, that which was gold and has now been nicked by the Egyptians could only be refurbished in bronze. You see, the blessing of God has gone. Um, and Rehoboam reigned for 17 years, and he was 41 when he started to reign. And he was succeeded by his son Abijah. So Rehoboam dies, and his son Abijah, Solomon's grandson, King David's great-grandson, now takes over. And uh, Abijah became king in the 18th year of Jeroboam's reign in Israel. Now that gets complicated, but that is how, going through these books, we can get all the dates that we need. You see what I mean? Because we know at what point in 
one kingdom's king's reign, we know at what point another king reigned in the other kingdom. So this is how we get a very accurate chronology. And uh, Ahijah reigned for three years. He, he, he was evil, he was into idolatry, he reigned over Judah for three years. And he was succeeded by his son who was called Asa. And then we went on to see that Asa, he reigned for 41 years in Judah and he, he followed the Lord. He was the good king. And uh, we saw that during his reign he was um, attacked by Israel, the northern kingdom, when they had a king called Basha. B-A-A-S-H-A, or Basha, because Basha was a bit of a Basha. When you read about Basha, that's what he did, bash, bash, bash. Um, easy for Christians to be like that sometimes, isn't it? Yeah, but Basha was bash, bash, bash. And Basha had a Basha Israel during the reign of Asa. And, um, and you know, sort of, he got into an alliance with Aram, or Syria. So you had the northern kingdom under the reign of Basha, Basha in alliance with the king of Aram, and getting together with the king of Aram and attacking Asa. Now Asa was a good in the south, Basha was a baddie. Baddie Basha, right, in the north. Now, Basha lost the fight, alright, and Asa succeeded in breaking the alliance that Basha had with the king of Aram. So the point is, in the reign of Asa, Basha attacks in alliance with Aram, but King Asa gets the victory and breaks the alliance that the north had with Aram or Syria. So, you know, victory there um, for King Asa. And, I mean, obviously loads of other things happened in his 41-year rule, but we're not told that much. I'm just going over what the Bible actually tells us. And then he was died, and he was succeeded by his son, Jehoshaphat. And uh, Jehoshaphat, he reigned in Judah for 25 years. Uh, he, he was 35 when he became king. And he was a believer, like his father, Asa. He was a good king. And uh, you'll remember we saw that he got into an alliance with King Ahab, another bad king in the north. Well, we'll come on to the kings in the north in a minute, just to refresh your memory about them. Remember that Jehoshaphat, although he was a good king, he had a bit of a weakness. He made alliances with some very undesirable people, and he made an alliance with King Ahab, the baddie king in the north, and uh, to, to, to get Ramoth Gilead back from Aram, because Aram, or Syria, caused all sorts of problems for them at this time. And so, you know, sort of like Jehoshaphat got into an alliance with uh, Ahab to go and get Ramoth Gilead back from Aram, or from Syria, who had invaded it. And, um, you know, so that's what we're, we're told about him. And you remember that, that we saw just quickly that he was uh, succeeded by his son uh, called Jehoram. And what happened was that when he was succeeded by his son, he ended up in what was called a co-regency for some years. This was quite common in the ancient world. If you had a reigning king who suddenly died, heart attack or killed in battle or you know something like that, sudden death, they're succeeded by their son there and then. But often what would happen that you know if if, if a king was getting fairly old and you know I mean sort of you know he hadn't been killed or something and he knew that his son was going to take over, what they do is that the son would become king and they'd share a co-regency together. So they were like both king, but you had the dad who was like the senior king, and the son who was like the king in training. 
and they, they worked like that for a few years until the sun took over completely. So, you know, we, we saw that last time. Now, let's go down what was happening in the north now, in Israel. And this is, remember all what we saw last time in 1 Kings? So just refreshing our memory so that when we move on now to 2 Kings that we've got that continuity. Now then, of course, up in the north, we have old Je uh, Jeroboam. Now remember, Jeroboam, he was the head of Solomon's workforce. So he was an important official in Solomon's kingdom. And you'll remember that Ahijah, the prophet, went to him and told him that he was going to lead this breaking away of ten nations, which would be a judgment against Solomon because of his idolatry. And you'll remember when Solomon found out about this, that uh, he tried to kill him, but uh, Jeroboam escaped. And then what happened when Solomon eventually died, his son, Rehoboam, got on the throne. The people, with Jeroboam as kind of their, their spokesman, right, went to him and said, look, can we, you know, have this more relaxed regime than we have with your dad? And remember, he said, oh, no, my dad's scorched with whips, I'm scorched with sky, it's going to get worse. And that was when they said, right, we're finished with you. And that was when the northern kingdom Israel came into being, the ten tribes, and they went up north and they made Jeroboam their king. So now Jeroboam, the king in the north. And you remember that, uh, you know, I said one might have been, uh, you know, sort of like forgiven for thinking he was a bit of a goodie. But we saw that once he was enthroned as king, um, obviously his people were still going down to Jerusalem to worship. And, uh, and he thought, oh no, if they do that, they'll, they'll switch their allegiance back to the south. And so we saw that what he did is he created his own religion, didn't he? He got like a mixture, a, a bit of the Lord, and he had these two golden calves, one at the north end of his kingdom and uh, one at the south end, so that wherever his people were, they could get to one of these calves for worship. So he actually created... Um, his, his own kind of idolatrous religion to, to, to try and keep his people loyal to him. And uh, as a result of that, remember, judgment was prophesied against him. And, uh, you know, remember the prophet who came up and, and, you know, spoke about, you know, God's judgment. He held his hand out, didn't he? And his hand became leprous and stayed leprous until the prophet prayed for him. And, um, and, you know, that prophet told him that uh, this religion that he had created would one day be destroyed uh, by a king who would come from Judah, from the south, uh, called Josiah. And that was many years hence, but we will eventually see how that prophecy was uh, fulfilled. And, uh, and you'll remember that his son, Abijah, died, and, um, well, you know, he got ill, and his wife went to... Ahijah, the prophet, who was the one who told him that he was going to be the king in the north in the first place. His wife went disguised to Ahijah, the prophets, to find out whether his son Abijah was going to live or not. And the prophet knew who she was, even though he was lying, was expecting her. And he says, you know, you go and tell your husband that, you know, your son's going to die and that all your descendants are going to be completely cut off because of this idolatry that you're doing um, in the north. And so there, there's a prophecy 
that Jeroboam is going to be all his descendants completely cut off so that none of his descendants would remain alive to carry on on the throne and um, and by the time his wife got back to Jeroboam their son died and um, so Jeroboam there in the north and he reigned for 22 years and uh, when he died uh, he was succeeded by his son Nadab who was obviously the brother of Abijah who, who had died and this Nadab reigned for three years we saw and again he was evil just like his dad idolatry bad king blah 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 and uh, he was assassinated by Basha right remember Basha he's all bashing anyway well Basha starts bashing here and um, Basha didn't only um, assassinate Nadab but he then went on and killed the entire royal family he murdered the whole lot thus fulfilling the prophecy of Ahijah the prophet that Jeroboam's descendants would be completely cut off because of his idolatry so now a generation later Jeroboam's son is reigning he's assassinated by Basha who then assassinates the rest of his family so now Jeroboam's descendants are completely cut off thus fulfilling Ahijah's prophecy so now Basha takes over and he reigns this is all in the north in Israel for 24 years and again like he was bad baddie naughty boy um, did the alliance thing didn't he with Aram and then attacked the south it's funny south had been left alone by the north but now Asa good king and so suddenly this bad king in the north decides to attack the south that's interesting isn't it the south had been relatively left alone because of you know when all the kings were bad but when Asa comes along he's king in the south a believer suddenly the north and they're all bad they want to attack that's interesting isn't it Satan attacking what God was doing down in the south so um, you know sort of like he gets into that alliance with Aram and, and attacks Asa down in um, Judah and um, and as a result of that um, a prophet Jehu comes onto the scene and uh, prophesies to him um, that he was going to be judged that he would die and that his descendants would be cut off as well as judgment against all his sin so Basha dies and uh, he's succeeded by his son Elah now Elah reigns for two years and um, was murdered while he was drunk so got drunk and he was assassinated um, kings who get drunk are asking for trouble you're not exactly on your guard when you're drunk well, he got drunk and he was assassinated um, by a bloke called Zimri and uh, Zimri didn't just kill Elah he went on and killed his whole family so now Basha's descendants are all cut off just as the prophet Jehu has said they would be so now Zimri he becomes king alright and uh, he lasted a week Right? He reigned for a whole week, seven whole days. Wow, what a kingdom. And um, he was murdered by the army, because obviously the north had their own army, just as Judah did in the south. The army murdered him, and um, they, they, they installed Omri, who was their commander, as the king. So you had a military coup there. 
Now the military step in. This is it's one assassination after another. So we're going to assassinate you and bring an end to all the assassinations, you see. It's, that's obviously of, often how military coups work, don't they? Um, and, uh, you know, so, so Omri, the commander of the army, is installed as king, having murdered, you know, the army having murdered uh, Zimri. And um, he, he's then challenged by a guy called Tibnai, who thought that he'd make a good thing. So Tibnai is dispatched, he's, he's killed. Um, so, so he was a contender for the throne, but Tibnai never actually became a king, all right? Uh, so we've got um, Omri, the commander of the army, now king, and he reigns for 12 years. And when he died, he was succeeded by his son, Ahab, right? Now, Ahab, and we're getting very much now to where we came to the end of One Kings, um, Ahab, Bible said was Israel's worst king yet. So having looked at all the kings that went before, Ahab was the worst one yet. So so Israel is in a bit of a state. And you'll remember that he married Jezebel, and Jezebel was the daughter of Ethbaal, who was the king of Sidon. Sidon was a major centre for Baal worship. It's the name of her father, the king Ethbaal, right? So now Ahab, having married the high priestess of Baal worship, Baal worship now becomes a major contender in Israel for the hearts of the people. So now you've got Baal worship and worship of the Lord going on side by side. And the people are doing a little bit of one and a little bit of the other. A dippy dippy into this and a dippy dippy into that. It wasn't that they were completely Baal or completely the Lord. They were mixing the two. And uh, you'll remember that that was when Elijah stepped in on the scene. And um, Ahab was dealt with through him. And you remember Elijah, uh, there's the drought, there's judgment on Israel for the idolatry of uh, Baal worship. And then eventually the, Elijah challenges them to the contest on Mount Carmel, you know, the God who answers by fire. You want the prophets of Baal there, and you've got Elijah there. And uh, he does this thing to the people, look, uh, you know, how long will you go limping between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. If Baal is God, follow him. And, you know, it's what Elijah said, well, it's make your mind up time. And uh, obviously he calls down the fire from heaven and the prophets of Baal can't. And so he exposes Baal for what he was, a no, a no God, you know, nothing, you know, just a demonic deception. And, um, and so, you know, very much through the ministry of Elijah, you know, I, I have got sort of dealt with. And, and then we, we saw when we were doing Jehoshaphat that, that Ahab ended up forming an alliance with Jehoshaphat against Aram, Syria. It was called Aram then, but Syria later. Um, and he got into that alliance so that they could attack Syria and get Ramoth Gilead back from them. And as a result of that battle, uh, Ahab died. So it was in that battle that Ahab died, and um, having reigned for 22 years, and uh, he was then succeeded by um, his son Ahaziah. And so that brought us to where we were last week. That brought us to the end of One Kings. And at the end of One Kings, last time, we were halfway through the ministry of Elijah. That That's where you know, Jehoshaphat in the south had, you know, come on the scene, but 
sort of like, you know, one Kings didn't home in too much on him, and, uh, but mainly on Ahab. And we were halfway through the ministry of Elijah uh, up in Israel in the Northern Kingdom. And uh, you'll remember that he had just anointed Elisha to succeed him. Um, and then Ahab dies in the battle against Aram for Ramoth Gilead. So where we come to, we're halfway through the ministry of Elijah. Elijah has just anointed Elisha to take over from him when he's taken up to heaven. Ahab has died in the battle with Aram to get Ramoth Gilead back. back. So Ahab is dead and his, his son takes over. And uh, Jehoshaphat, the good king in the south, Ahab has been in alliance with him. Uh, Jehoshaphat is still going strong in the south and moves into a co-regency with his son Jehoram. So that's where we were last time and the date is now around 850 BC. King David was 1000 BC, now the date is like 850 BC. So that's where we ended last time, and now we move into two kings where it just carries on. So it's, you know, I mean, you know, try and forget it was one kings and two. This is just now we just carry on as if we weren't in the new book at all. We carry on with that history uh, that we've just seen. So we're going to meander through it at a, a, a very leisurely pace because, again, we're going to have to do lots of jumping between back in the south and then meanwhile back at the ranch it's going to be all that sort of stuff jumping to and fro from the north and south and there are times when the north and the south are working together and it complicates so we'll take it very very slowly therefore chapter one no, I don't mean like that. I just mean that we're just gonna, you know, like 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 meander. So now we're on two kings and chapter one. That's not bad. We're halfway through. That's just the introduction. Right. Okay. Chapter one. We're in the northern kingdom still. We're still in Israel, and Ahab's son, Ahaziah, is the king. So this is we can be seen. It's very much the ministry of Elijah carrying on. Ahab has died in the battle at the end of. One kings. So here, his son Ahaziah has taken over as the king of Israel, the northern kingdom. And, oh, excuse me, ah, sharp intake of breath. Right, so Ahaziah falls through the roof. <laughs> it's one way to start a book off, isn't it? But that is how the book starts. Ahaziah, Ahab's son, king of Israel, up in the north, he falls through the roof and he hurts himself. So he's, he's, he's in a state, he's, he sustains bad injuries. And what he does is that he sends a deputation of his men to inquire of occultists who worshipped the god Baal-Zebub. You remember in an earlier talk we saw how that name eventually came to form, uh, you know, the name that the Jews used for Satan, Lord of the Flies. But anyway, he, he sends off a group of people to inquire uh, whether or not he would recover from his injuries. So what happens here, he's fallen through a roof, he's hurt himself badly, and he is now um, indulging in occult healing. Now what happens is the messengers who he sent off to inquire of this god Baal Zebub, all right, um, 
the messengers who are on this errand are intercepted by Elijah, who sends them back to Ahaziah with the pronouncement that he would die, that because he turned to occultism and not the Lord, that he would die, that this, these injuries would lead to his death. And um, so Ahaziah doesn't like this. Um, you know, he gets a bit miffed that, that Elijah should have dared to have made this pronouncement to him. Now, you'd have thought that he'd learned his lesson. I mean, everything his father went through with Elijah, but people like this are slow to learn lessons. I mean, the whole of the book of Proverbs really is saying that, 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 that the fool doesn't learn his lesson, but the wise man does. And so what Ahaziah does, he dispatches a company of 50 soldiers, like a little battalion, of 50 soldiers to, to bring Elijah to him. So, so the, these band of 50 soldiers, they're off to find Elijah, ordering Elijah, you know, come before Ahaziah, Elijah having uh, proclaimed the word of the Lord to him. And uh, so they find him, and the captain of these men orders him to go with them to the king. Um, so they're consumed by fire. Elijah calls fire down from heaven on them. And uh, so Ahaziah finds out what has happened, that, that, that his band of soldiers have been consumed by fire. Um, that fire of personality did Elijah. It was you know, sort of like his speciality, calling fire down from heaven. And um, a second group of 50 soldiers were sent. And um, exactly the same thing happens. And um, it probably does make me odd because if they'd have gone back without him, I would have fired them anyway. So. <laughs> so the same thing happens to them. They're consumed by fire. And uh, Ahaziah finds out what happens and dispatches a third battalion of 50 soldiers. Now, this third battalion has a wise man for their captain. And he gets down on his knees in front of Elijah. Because he doesn't want to be consumed by He knows exactly what's going to happen. You know, if you mess with Elijah, if you mess with the Lord, all right, under these circumstances, and uh, he knows exactly, and so he gets down on his knees and he begs Elijah, you know, this is Elijah. The other two captains have said, Oi, go to the king, all right, and whoosh, all right. Um, this one, he gets down on his knees and he says, pretty please. And I don't blame him, because I would have done that as well. Only I'd have been cleaning his sandals at the same time. You see what I mean? <laughs> and uh, so Elijah says, right, okay, fair enough, I'll come with you. You know, that, that's the right attitude. I mean, not that Elijah was wanting them to crawl to him, but now some respect was being shown for the God that he represented. So now Elijah does go to Ahaziah. And uh, as soon as he gets there, pronounces the death sentence on him personally. Which probably wasn't what Ahaziah wanted to, uh, to hear at all. But uh, very soon after, Ahaziah died. And, uh, which, which is the, the story of most of the kings who fought against the Lord in, in such a blatant way. And we, we saw last time that, that uh, Ahaziah ruled for, for two years. So after a two-year reign, he comes up against Elijah, he pushes his luck, and now he's um, a dead man. Now, he didn't have a, any sons, and so therefore he couldn't be succeeded by his son. But he was succeeded as king by his younger brother, Joram. Okay. Um, now, 
we're going to see later that Jehoshaphat's son down in the south was called Jehoram. See what I mean? It gets complicated, so don't mix them up. Right? He's, Ahaziah is succeeded by his brother Joram because he didn't have any sons. All right. So um, that's the position in the, in the north. Now, in chapter 2, uh, we come to the bit where Elijah is uh, about to be taken up to, to heaven. And you remember that, that he strikes the Jordan and, and, and parts, and, and he and Elisha go across. And, um, and Elisha requests a double portion of his spirit. And, uh, and what Elijah says, so he says, look, if you see me when I'm actually taken up to heaven, then your request will be granted. You know, it's a hard thing you've asked, though. I mean, not hard for God, but hard with it, for him, because if you're filled with the Holy Spirit, that's hard. It means tribulation, it means persecution, it means submission to the Lord. And, uh, but he does, he sees Elijah being taken up to heaven in a, a chariot of, of fire and a whirlwind. And, um, and then he, he tears his own clothes and he puts on Elijah's mantle, you know, a picture of not his own strength, but, you know, the Lord's strength. And uh, you remember he goes back across the Jordan and he, he, he throws the mantle, he says, where is the God of Elijah? And of course the Jordan opens for him, just as it had done for Elisha. You know, Elijah, of course, a picture of being baptised with the Spirit and doing the same things that Jesus did, as he said that his disciples would. And, um, and what he does is that, um, he he kind of then the the prophets Elijah had established like a school of prophets and these prophets then want to go and get Elijah's body because they just think Elijah's dead and Elisha says no don't bother because he's actually been taken bodily into heaven and they don't believe him they go and look for the body blah 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 and then what happens is is that now Elisha starts his actual ministry and uh, the, 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 the first thing he, he does is that Jericho, um, he, he goes there and, and, and the waters of Jericho, the water system that feeds Jericho had uh, become poisoned so that the people uh, couldn't any longer be drinking the water there. And uh, of course for a city, for its water supply to be poisoned, I mean, is you know, the end of that city. Now, we saw last time, didn't we? It was in the days of Ahab, in Ahab's time, just a few years earlier, that Jericho had been rebuilt. And in the time of Joshua, when Israel came into the Promised Land, Jericho was the first city they took, and a curse was pronounced about, you know, against anyone who um, rebuilt Jericho. And a guy called Hiel did in the days of Ahab, and he was judged by God for it. So what we've got here is that one thing we do know is that Jericho should never have been built. It wasn't God's will at all. But it was built, it was in trouble, and so through Elisha, God blesses it. Now that's Romans 8.28, isn't it? I mean, we spend half our lives out of God's will, don't we? It's just as well, you know, that, that, that Romans 8.28 is actually there, that all things work together for good. And here, Jericho gets blessed by the Lord. And so we've got, you know, sort of like the principle here that, uh, you know, that even if there's something that isn't God's will, I mean, you know, sort of like some people who climb mountains, that if you say, well, why, why, why did you climb that mountain? And they say, well, because it was there. And if you say, well, look, God, but why did you bless Jericho? And he says, well, because it was there. <laughs> if it's there, I'll bless it. And, and, and of course, 
what happened was that the waters were bitter, were poisoned, and Elisha threw salt in them. And then, after he threw salt in them, they were okay. And of course, salt is a picture in the Old Testament of Jesus. And so there's a nice little, you know, sort of like picture there, as it were. And, um, and after he's done that, you know, sort of like Elisha, he's, he, he's then on the way to Bethel. So he's leaving Jericho and goes to Bethel. And um, a whole load of uh, youths are, are there and they mock him for, for being bald. They, they, they call him, you know, sort of like, they go up, go up, you bald head. So, so, so they, they're hurling insults at him. And, uh, you know, so I mean, from this we can probably deduce that he was indeed bald. And as a result of this, you must understand that they were here cursing a prophet. What happens is Elisha now, now, now curses them um, in the name of the Lord, and, and two bears appear, and, and, and more 42 of these youths. And, um, you know, so I mean, I suppose it was Elisha's way of sort of saying, you know, look, don't take the mick because I can't bear it. <laughs> yeah, but, but, yeah, it, but, but that, that's what happened. You know, so I mean, be be kind of. Um, what's the lesson we're learning? Be be nice to prophets. I think yes, right. Okay, right now, cha chapter three, and um, Joram, all right, has, has succeeded his brother Ahaziah. All right, so uh, Joram is still the son of Ahab. You know, this, you know, Ahab's son Ahaziah is dead, and, and Ahaziah's brother Joram has taken over as king, and. He wasn't as bad as his dad, but he was still pretty awful. So he's not as quite as bad as Ahab, but nevertheless he wasn't. He wasn't very good. And uh, at, at, at this point, Moab, which as a nation was in subjection to Israel, now rebels. So Israel controlled Moab. Now Moab does a rebellion, like fighting for its independence. And so Joram responds to this by. Um, just like his father Ahab had done in similar circumstances with Ramoth Gilead, he gets into alliance with Jehoshaphat. So Jehoshaphat, who's still reigning in the south, or is in co-regency with his son, he comes on the scene as well now. So, um, so Joram goes down to the south and says to Jehoshaphat, come in alliance with me so we can go and beat up Moab and put them back in their place. And uh, he agrees, you know. But Jehoshaphat does say, as he had done once with Ahab, you when Micaiah was pulled out of the dungeons, he said, look, is there a prophet around we can inquire of? And Elisha turns up, and uh, what he says um, is he says, look, um, I'm going to cooperate, but uh, only, only because um, Jehoshaphat is in this alliance. So in effect, Elisha says, look, Joram, you're out of fellowship, but Jehoshaphat isn't. So this venture is going to be blessed because of Jehoshaphat. So you're going to have victory over Moab because of Jehoshaphat. And uh, what's happened is that um, at this point, um, Joram and Jehoshaphat are marching with their coalition army, the army of the south and the north together. And they've run out of water, so they're in a bit of a pickle now. And, uh, and it, Elisha tells them to, to dig ditches. And says, if you dig these ditches, they will miraculously fill with water, and the Lord will give you all the water that you need, and uh, and that the Lord will give you a victory over Moab. And so they dig the ditches, all these ditches, all around where they they're camped. And then the next morning, when they got up, all these ditches were full of water. So you know, the Lord provided them with the water that they they um, needed it. You know, and all the men and all the animals drank. Now, what happened in the Moabite camp 
is that the mower camp, the Moabites, they 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 woke up in the morning and they looked on where Israel was 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 camped. And uh, as they looked on it, the fact that the sun was glinting on all these ditches filled with water made the made the water go red, look red. And the Moabites thought that the ditches were full of blood. And so the Moabites thought, oh, what's happened is that they've had the alliance together, they've fallen out, and they've, they've slaughtered each other. So they've been fighting with each other, let's go in and finish them off. And so the Moabite army go down into Israel and Judah's camp, thinking that Israel and Judah have killed each other. And when they get there, they realise too late that both the armies are still there, and, and because Israel and Judah now had surprise on their side, uh, the Moabite army is completely routed, and therefore the rebellion was uh, over. And then, as he flees, the Moabite king, a bloke called Mesha, um, offered his son as a human sacrifice, hoping that his god would bring them victory at the last minute. But I mean, it's, uh, it, 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 it didn't happen at all. And, uh, you know, in light of all the water, I suppose, what you've got the last ditch attempt, you know. <laughs> uh, anyway, then we move on to chapter 4. And um, Elisha has taken over this school of prophets that Elijah founded, and he's like in charge of it. And uh, one of these prophets had died and left a widow. And uh, this widow comes to Elijah with, with the sad story that because her husband had died and uh, her creditors were coming to take her two boys away as slaves to pay off her debts and uh, the, the only thing she's got is a loyal in a jar and so Elisha uh, tells her to, to gather as many empty jars as possible from all her neighbours and you know she does this and then what she did with the little bit of oil she had she was able to fill all these jars up with oil and then Elisha said to her, right, okay, go and sell all your excess bottles of, of oil and then you can pay your debts off and live off of the money you've got left. And so that's what happened, you know, just a bit of a... You know, and of course, very reminiscent, you'll find that Elisha, his miracle is very similar to the kind of stuff that Elijah had done a few years earlier. And um, then there was a Shunammite couple who were Gentiles, but they lived in the land and, and Elisha became friends with them. And, um, and what they did is that they set a room up so that Elisha and his servant called Gehazi, Elisha had a servant called Gehazi, could, could stay there whenever they wanted to. And uh, Elisha eventually, because they become such good friends, says, is there anything I can do to repay your kindness? And, uh, and what they said is that the wife was barren and that they wanted children and so obviously the wife had children. And um, then a, f a few years later uh, the boy dies and uh, you know the wife dashes off to, to find Elisha and uh, tells them the good bad news rather. And uh, Elisha sends Gehazi to go straight to their house and uh, to lay his, his staff on the boy's face and so Gehazi does this but nothing happens and we'll see why later and uh, but when Elisha arrived Elisha um, brought the child back to life kind of laid on top of him twice and then the boy sneezed seven times and came back to life and again very similar to the miracle of the raising from the dead that uh, Elisha Elijah had done as well and um, 
Then Elisha goes off to Gilgal for a meeting with his school of prophets that he runs, and uh, there was a stew that was served up, which was poisonous, and, and they all got stomach cramps and realised that there was a, you know, they cried out, there's death in the pot. And uh, so, so what Elisha does is he puts flour in it, and then they could all eat it, and it was no problem. So, you know, similar to when he healed the waters of Jericho, and of course flour, meal, you know, the meal offering, again a picture of Jesus, and you've got all this symbolism there which I haven't got time to go into, and he then feeds a hundred people with twenty tiny little loaves of barley bread, with plenty left over, so, you know, God does that sort of thing. Right, chapter five, um, the commander of the Aramean army was a guy called Naaman, he was a, a good soldier, um, in charge of the army, but he was a leper, and uh, he, his wife had a Jewish girl who, who lived with, in the house with them, like as a maid. And this Jewish girl told her all about the ministry of Elisha, this prophet back home in her homeland and that. And uh, so Naaman asked permission for, from his king if he could go and search this Elisha out. And the king, yeah, no, you know, no problem. So the king, the Aramean king, writes a letter of reference to Joram. Remember Joram, the king in the north who took over from his brother Ahaziah? Ahab's son, alright, he's still the king in the north. And uh, so, so the king of Aram sends a letter to Joram saying, I'm sending Naaman, my commander, you know, sort of like, you know, so that he, he can be healed. Now then, Joram, well, healing wasn't his strong point, old Joram, you see. And when he gets a letter from the king of um, Aram saying about this, he freaks out thinking it's a trick for an invasion. So he gets ready for an invasion. So he thought, you know, why is, why, is, why is this king writing to me about healing? I don't know anything about healing. He wasn't very spiritual, you see. It wasn't his hardly his speciality. And, um, you know, but then Elisha explains to Joram, because, you know, Elisha knew the king. Elisha explained it all to him. And, uh, and, and then Elisha sends a message to Naaman telling him to bathe himself seven times in the river Jordan and that he would therefore be healed of his leprosy. And uh, this made Naaman angry, and on two counts. Firstly, Elisha didn't go to him personally, and Naaman thought that was a bit rude. And secondly, he considered Aramean or Syrian rivers to be far superior to a Jewish one, the Jordan. The nations thought the Jordan was an unclean river, you know, because of their basic anti-Semitism and that. And uh, so, so he storms, so Naaman storms off in a rage. Um, but, but, but his servants who respect him, talk him round, and they say to him, look, if the prophet had told you to do some great thing, wouldn't you have done it? So, so that puts Naaman in his place a bit, because obviously you can't earn a thing from the Lord. You take it as a free gift, or that's it, you know, you, you, you don't earn it. So he does as Elisha says, he, he humbles himself, he goes and bathes seven times in the Jordan, and he's healed. And uh, he tries to give Elisha money, but uh, Elisha won't accept it. And uh, Naaman has become a believer. He's become a Christian. And um, now what happens now, and this I think is the clue to why Gehazi wasn't used to raise the boy from the dead, all right? Gehazi goes after Naaman and he lies to him to get money. And he tells Naaman that Elisha had sent him, which he hadn't, and that Elisha had had guests turn up unexpectedly and could he have some provisions for his guests and that. And uh, so. Naaman, having been taken in, not realising that Gehazi is lying, um, you know, sort of like, you know, gives him all he wants. And so, you know, Gehazi takes the loot to his own house.
Uh, but the next time that he sees Elisha, Elisha knows exactly what he's done because the Lord's shown him, and he pronounces that the leprosy of Naaman would cling to Gehazi, which it does, and Gehazi became a leper, and, and, and that was judgment on him. And, uh, you know, just, just notice that we've got, we've got raisings from the dead and we've got leprosy healed. But it's all happening to Gentiles. The Shunammite couple, their son, they were Gentiles. Naaman is a Gentile. And you remember when Jesus was preaching in Nazareth, he raised this and said in the time of Elijah and Elisha, blah, 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 you know, that sort of, um, you know, that widows received their dead back to life and, you know, sort of like Naaman was, was healed. And the people got angry and threw him out of the temple. And the reason was, because what Jesus was saying is that, can't you see you're out of fellowship? The fact that these blessings happened amongst the Gentiles and not the Jews was because Israel was out of fellowship at that time, wasn't it? And they all knew that it was. And it was Jesus saying we're out of fellowship and that's why they got angry. So it was Jesus using the Old Testament to, you know, illustrate to them that at his time as well, they were out of fellowship with the Lord. Anyway, chapter 6. And um, the school of prophets are, are building now. They're, they're building a school, a permanent place of residence and Elisha is kind of like overseeing the work and that and one of these these prophets who's working on the thing he borrowed an axe and as he's working presumably chopping wood or something the the axe head flies off and lands in the jaw and he he gets all upset because it's borrowed and he goes to Elisha and says oh, I've borrowed this axe head and this axe and I'll you know have blah 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 you see having a bit of a tis was and so Elisha he gets a stick and he throws it into the Jordan where the axe head fell in and it floated to the top. So he got the axe head back. Well, the Lord can do things like that, can't he? Then you get a war between Aram and Israel. And, um, you know, so Aram against Syria attacks Israel. And uh, every time they did so, um, Elisha, all right, was informing Joram, the king, that, that Syria, Aram, was going to attack. So every time Aram attacked, the, the army was waiting there, all right. So, you know, because Elisha, the Lord's telling Elisha, Aram's going to attack here. So Elisha goes to Joram and he says, get the army there because Aram's going to attack, blah, blah, blah. And so eventually the Aramean king thinks that he's got um, a spy in the camp. He gets all his generals together. And they say, no, it's Elijah. He's a prophet. And he tells the king of Israel the words you speak in your bedroom. That's how they know. And so he says, right, go and get Elisha. Now, uh, Elisha was, was in Dothan, and so this, this large section of the army sent to Dothan, where Elisha was. And uh, Gehazi has been replaced by another servant to Elisha, a young man. And, um, and he gets up in the morning, and he looks out, and, and the Aramean army surrounding Dothan, and he knows exactly why they've come. Oh, Brahm is, you know, they've come to get Elisha and they're going to get me as well. And he freaks out a bit. And he goes and tells Elisha. And Elisha says to him, look, those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And then he said, Lord, open his eyes. And suddenly his, his young servant looks again and he can still see the Aramean army surrounding Dothan. But then he sees the angelic army surrounding the Arameans. And you think, oh yeah, that's right. It's, you know, those who are with us and more than those who are with them. And um, he sees that angelic army. And then the Arameans are struck by blindness. Elisha prays, Lord, to strike them blind. And he strikes them blind. And so having got the whole army blinded, he, he, he leads them to Samaria, which was the capital, and their sight was restored. And then, to make the humbling utterly complete, 
they feed the army a really good meal and then send them home to Aram. <laughs> and, uh, you know, so Aram learns its uh, lesson. And then sometime later, uh, Aram, uh, the king was a guy called Ben-Hadad, um, he, he struck again. He came back again and he besieged Samaria. And uh, this, this siege lasted long enough for hunger to become a problem in Samaria and eventually cannibalism broke out. And uh, Joram, the king, blames Elisha for this, which is a daft thing to do. But he blames Elisha, the prophet, for this. And he summons Elisha from his house in the city to the king. And then in chapter 7, Elisha goes before the king and he says, oh, this is going to end the next day. This crisis is going to be over tomorrow, thus saith the Lord. And one of the king's aides expressed doubt, said, no, don't believe it. It's not going to happen. Now then, outside the city, there were four lepers, because obviously lepers in Israel weren't allowed in the cities. And these four letters, lepers, letters, <laughs> these four lepers decided that they had nothing to lose by going to the Aramean camp and throwing themselves on their mercy. So, you know, they're, they're, so these four lepers, you've got the city, you've got them, and you've got the Aramean army. And they think, oh, blow it. You know, we might as well go and see how our luck does with the Aramean army, throw ourselves on their mercy. They might be good to us. And they got there, and they found the camp absolutely deserted. And the reason that this had happened is because the Lord had caused the Arameans to hear this mighty army coming to get them, and they fled in terror. So the four lepers go to the Aramean camp who are besieging Samaria, the capital of Israel, and uh, they, they find it's gone. The army has just gone. And, uh, you know, they kind of eat, drink and make merry. Because obviously they dive in and they hadn't eaten and drunk so well for, for months. And so they're having a whale of the time until they think, now hang on a sec, we better go into Samaria and uh, t tell them what's happened. You know, the siege is over, that the army's gone. And uh, so they do that. And uh, so Joram sends out a group of men for a reconnoiter to see if this is really true. And when it's, uh, you know, that it's not, you know, that these lepers weren't spies for Aram trying to, you know, sort of like, you know, work a trick on them. And, um, and of course, they, you know, then discover that, that absolutely true. The Aramean army is gone. The siege is over. And the, the, the king's aide who expressed doubts the day before is then trampled to death in the rush of everyone to get to the Aramean camp to get something to eat. So there was judgment on him for expressing his doubts that the Lord wouldn't deliver them. And uh, then in chapter 8, um, Elisha is told by the Lord that there's going to be a famine for seven years. And so he sends the Shunammite family, who he had befriended, um, into Philistine territory where they'd be okay. And that's interesting, because there's the Lord warning the Gentiles, well, okay, just leave for a while because you'll be better off down there because there's a drought coming because Israel's out of fellowship. And, um, you know, so that was kind of, you know, sort of like, you know, again, God blessing the Gentiles because Israel out of fellowship. And uh, then Ben-Hadad, who's the king of Israel, who had besieged Samaria, he becomes ill. And uh, he sends an aide, a guy called Hazael, uh, to ask Elisha if... Uh, Ben-Hadad would recover, because even though, you know, the, these kings often, although they were Gentiles, they knew that the prophets of Israel were genuine prophets. Now, do you remember that God had told Elijah to uh, ensure that Hazel 
was uh, anointed king of Aram. Now what happens is, Elisha tells this guy Hazel that his master, his king, wasn't going to recover. And, uh, you know, but tells him to actually lie to the king and tell him to the contrary. And say, no, the Lord says that you're going to recover. And, um, and Elisha tells him, this guy Hazel, that he's going to be the king of Aram in the place of Ben-Hadad, because that's God's will. But he weeps because this guy Hazel is being made uh, king of Aram by God in order to oppress Israel because Israel is so out of fellowship with the Lord. And uh, so now, Hazael is anointed as king of Aram, as the Lord had spoken to Elijah years earlier. And the next day, um, Hazael murders Ben-Hadad, and um, he then becomes the king. So, Hazael is now king of Aram, just as the Lord has said to Elijah years before. Right, at this point, we switch down south. So we leave, leave the north, now we go down south, alright? And uh, we go down south to old Jehoram. Now remember Jehoram, the son of Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat had been in co-regency with his son Jehoram, okay? Now Jehoram is king on his own, alright? And he does evil. He's not like Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat was a good king. But Jehoram isn't, he's evil. And he marries one of Ahab's daughters. So he, you know, this, this alliance that Jehoshaphat had with the north has, has shown his son a very bad example because now his son marries one of Ahab's daughters. So now there's a bloodline between the south and the north. Very unhealthy. Now, he begins his rule, this Jehoram, when he was 32. And he ruled for eight years, all right? So what we've got is we've got Joram in the north and Jehoram in the south. They're not related to each other, but Joram in the north and Jehoram in the south. And it was while uh, Jehoram was ruling in the south that Edom revolted against Judah in exactly the same way that Moab had revolted against the north. And of course the point is, when Israel was in fellowship with God, the surrounding nations bowed down to them. When Israel got out of fellowship with God, the surrounding nations broke away, got independence, and then became aggressive towards them. And now it's happening down in the south as well, because Judah's out of fellowship too. Now then, he dies, this is Jehoram, the son of Jehoshaphat in the south, he dies, and is succeeded by his son Ahaziah. Not to be confused with Ahab's oldest son, who ruled a few years earlier in the north, whom who died at the command of Elijah. This is where it gets complicated. So we've got another guy called Ahaziah, alright, he's Jehoram's son, and he is now ruling down in the south in Judah. Again, he was, he was evil, like his father. And, um, and of course, what you've got now is that, that, that he is the son, because his father married Ahab's daughter, this guy is bloodline to Ahab. And the point is, it's not just that, that now the king was related by marriage to Ahab's family, the king was like Ahab and his family. And this is the problem. If you cohort with evil, the evil rubs off onto you. And uh, he 
gets into an alliance with Joram in the north, all right, to have a war against Hazael, who's become the king in Aram, all right? So the point is that now, um, in the south, okay, the king, Ahaziah, now forms an alliance with Joram, the king in the north, Israel, so that they can have a war against Hazel, all right? Because Hazael has been attacking them, and now they want to go and get their own back and invade and destroy Aram, or Syria, as it became known later. Now, whilst this happened, in this war, Joram, the king of Israel in the north, uh, is wounded, all right? So he's wounded quite badly in that battle. Now then, in chapter 9, Elisha dispatches one of his prophets to Ramoth Gilead, uh, which earlier they'd won back, all right, from Aram, to anoint a guy called Jehu, whose father was Jehoshaphat, but not the guy who was, not the Jehoshaphat who was king in the south. Told you it was complicated, didn't I? To anoint Jehu up in the north, all right, as king over Israel, all right? So what's happening is that in the north at this point, okay, the king is Joram, all right? And he's in alliance with Ahaziah, the king of the south, Judah. They've had a battle against Aram, and Joram, the king of Israel in the north, has been wounded. Under Elisha's being led by the spirit, a guy called Jehu is now anointed to be king in Jehu's place, and to rule over Israel in Jehu's place. And the prophet, who's been sent by Elisha, instructs Jehu, and this had been revealed to Elijah years earlier as well, all right, back in 1 Kings, uh, instructs Jehu that he was to utterly destroy Ahab's family, so that all Ahab's descendants are to be wiped out, including Jezebel, who was his wife, all right. Because remember, now Ahab's family, not only are they ruling in the north, but by marriage, Ahab's family have now wormed their way into the south as well. So what happens now, all right, Joram, okay, the king of Israel, and Ahaziah, the king of Judah in the south, all right, both of Ahab's household, all right, they're both related to Ahab. They're at Jezreel, recovering from this battle that they've just had with um, Hazael, the king of Aram, all right? And we saw that Joram got wounded in there, okay? And uh, Jehu takes an army to Jezreel, and Joram rides out to see what he wants. So, you know, he rides out, what do you want, Jehu? And Jehu shoots him, and probably says something like, does that answer your question, or are you getting my point? You know, some, but he, he shoots him with a bow and arrow. So, bang, there goes Joram, all right? Ahaziah was wounded in the battle that followed, but escaped to Megiddo, a place called Megiddo, and he died of his wounds there, and his body was taken back to Jerusalem. And uh, having done that, so now, all right, Jehu has now killed the king in the south and the king in the north because they were both related to Ahab's family. And he is under instructions from the Lord to kill the residue of Ahab's family, all right? Now, Jahab goes, Jehu goes after Jezebel, Ahab's wife. And you remember that um, when Elisha 
Elijah pronounced judgment against Ahab, um, he, he, he told her, he told him that Jezebel would be eaten by dogs and that there'd be nothing left of her to bury, all right? So now Ahab goes after Jezebel and she's at, um, at Jezreel as well. And uh, as he rides up, she's in her house and she's on the top floor and she mocks him as he rides in. She knows that he's on the Lord's business, but she mocks him. And, uh, and then what happens is that on Jehu's order, her eunuchs, either her servants, her eunuchs throw her out of the window. And so she falls to her death. And her body lies in the streets and the dogs eat her. And there's nothing left for anyone to bury, just as Elijah the prophet had prophesied years earlier. And uh, so now Jehu pursues all of the rest of uh, Ahab's remaining descendants and uh, kills them all. And having done that, he now completely cleanses Israel of Baal worship. So he's now very much doing an Elijah. And he kills all the priests of Baal and he rids the land of Baal worship. And he ruled, okay, um, over Israel um, for 28 years. And he followed the Lord, but the Bible says not fully. Not fully. He kept a little bit of idolatry going. He had a little bit of idolatry going on the side but it wasn't Baal worship. So fundamentally, he did what the Lord wanted him to do. But he ruled over Israel for 28 years um, and uh, followed the Lord, but as I say, not fully. And so we've now got a situation, okay, where Jehu is the king in the north and he's reasonably good. He's actually following the Lord. Um, but down in the south, they're now, uh, for the time being, without a king. And they're without a king because uh, Ahaziah, who was the king of Judah, in sort of like alliance with Joram, he's been killed. And uh, so you'll have to wait in absolute suspense to find out what happens in the south next, all right? And, uh, but at this point, the Lord begins to reduce the size of Israel. So up in the north, all right, we've moved away from the south now. Up in the north, what's happening is that Hazael, who's the king of Aram or Syria, what he's doing is he is encroaching more and more on the territory that Israel has. And more and more of Israel is coming under Syrian control. And the land in the north is shrinking. Because the more out of fellowship Israel gets, the more of the land they lose. And bear in mind that the Lord had always said to them through Moses, and this was written into their law, that the ultimate judgment upon them as a nation, be it Israel or Judah, was that they would be taken out of the land completely and taken away into captivity. And we'll certainly see more pertaining to that next time. So, what we've got, okay, is that Ahaziah, the king of um, Judah, he's been killed, all right? And uh, so, so at the moment, you know, sort of like where we're going to end now, 
the South is without a king at the moment. Um, Jehu has been ruling in Israel fairly well, but Israel's part of the land is shrinking because Syria, Aram, is encroaching more and more on their territory. And eventually what happens is that Jehu, who's been a reasonably good son, a uh, good king, he dies and his son takes over from him and his son was called Jehoahaz. Now that's where we're going to leave it tonight. We're about halfway through two kings now. We're going to leave it there. Next time when we come on to do the rest of it we'll start off with another recap that will quickly cover everything that we've done so far because I know it's getting a bit complicated there's no way for me to make this any easier because this is the way that one and two kings are written I can't change the way that they're you know that they're actually put together but the point is by taking it slowly now I'm hoping that that we'll be able to take more and more of it in even though it is getting a bit complicated so we're going to leave it there but next time we will begin with a recap of everything that we've done so far to keep the continuity going and in fact next time we're going to see the history of Israel right up to the time, well Israel and Judah, right up to the time when neither kingdom was left in the land and both kingdoms, north and south, had been carted off into captivity. So where we're going to be by the end of next time's talk, the end of two kings, is we'll have seen the history of Israel the conquest of Canaan, coming into Canaan, taking it over in the time of Joshua, the three to four hundred years of the time of Judges, all right, in the land, then the coming of kings, all right, so we've got Saul, David and Solomon, all right, and, and kind of like the golden era being at the beginning of the reign of Solomon, and then we'll have seen their entire history of Israel establishing themselves into the land right through to the point where they get kicked out of it. So we'll have gone full circle. Having started, or in, in Joshua, with the conquest of Canaan, Israel taking the land over, next time we're going to see that two kings ends with Israel, the Jews themselves, booted out of the land because that is how much out of fellowship both nations eventually got. So we'll carry on with that next time with a, a big recap and we'll just, as I say, take it slowly and uh, I, I know that this means that you're going to have to listen to these tapes a couple of times, I know that, but once you've, you've got a rough idea it, it will put you in very good stead. So uh, difficult though it is at the moment, we will carry on next time.